Well, now we're going to have our main Bible reading, and we're in Romans chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 17 to the end. And it says this. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law and if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, Dishonour God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Well, in a moment, we're going to have a look at that passage. But there's just a couple of things to mention before we do. The first is there is a sermon outline available in the description for you to download and use if that's helpful. Second thing to mention is there'll be an opportunity to ask questions or make comments in light of the things that we've been thinking about reflecting upon this morning. That all takes place in the live chat and I'll fill you in on how that works when we get to it. But I do want you to know there's questions coming up or time at least put aside for them so that you can be thinking of what your question might be when that point arrives. And then finally and most importantly, let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that we've read just a moment ago. We thank you for the fact that you had Paul uh, write them and that he is able to communicate your word to us because he was your messenger to the Gentiles. We pray, Lord, that we, as we continue to see his argument unravel in the book of Romans, that we would appreciate our place in it, that we wouldn't stick ourselves directly in the text, but we would see the history and the reasoning of his argument, and how uh, it makes sense in the context of your words. Amen. 
It's a common mistake of pastors, preachers and elders to draw too sharp a distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. One such example was when an elder got up to preach and stated the Old Testament is about circumcision of the foreskin while the New Testament is about the circumcision of the heart. So let's just pause for a moment. What do you think? Does this ring true? Abraham's allegiance to God was demonstrated by a physical sign. While the allegiance Jesus asks raises the bar, the physical sign is now replaced with something much more authentic, the desire of one's heart. It does sound legitimate. With a quick recall of what we know of the Old Testament and particularly what we know of the Paul's criticism of physical circumcision, we could make a case. So, is the elder correct? Well, as early as Leviticus 26, God describes his people as having an uncircumcised heart. This is Leviticus 26, verse 41. It says this. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. We're in the third book of the Bible. At the giving of the law. And God has an expectation that his people would have hearts of circumcision. And when their hearts prove to be uncircumcised, he calls them to make amends for their attitude. So as we arrive at the second part of Romans 2, we find Paul is about to criticise those who put their confidence in circumcision. And he's going to make the case that the uncircumcised can actually be in a better position than the circumcised. So as we look at this, let's start at verse 24, which says this. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul is criticising the Jews. As God's people, they are his representatives. As the nations or Gentiles see the behaviour of God's people, it's intended to make an impression upon them. Such is the behaviour of God's people that the Gentiles bring glory to God. See, the Jews had a, an incredible privilege, and that's what's outlined in verses 17 to 18 of this chapter. To be named a Jew is to be a member of God's people. The Jew believed having the law would exempt them from judgment, and the Jew was able to boast in God. The Jew knows 
God and as a result is able to distinguish between what matters and what doesn't. But this great privilege brings with it great responsibility. Because as God's representatives, they're to bring light to those who are in darkness. As those who know God, they're to teach the Gentiles so that they too can praise God. But none of this ever really happens. Israel forsakes God, turns to idols, oppresses the poor in their own nation. And this leads to the judgment that God had promised them if they didn't walk in his ways. The people of God are sent into exile. And this is where we come back to Verse 24. As it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, if you have a look down, you'll notice at verse 24, there's a footnote A. And you'll see from footnote A that this quote comes from Isaiah 52, verse 5. Isaiah 52, verse 5, says this. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord? Seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, their rulers wail, declares the Lord. And continually, all the day, my name is despised. Now, Romans 2, verse 24, is quoting, according to our footnote, Isaiah 52, verse 5. At which point you may think to yourself, what sort of quote is this? Well, allow me to explain how this has come about. Our Old Testament, the one we have in our Bible, it's translated directly from the Hebrew. The Hebrew is the text that would have been read by the original Israelites. Whereas Paul, when he quotes, he would have been quoting from a Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is known as the Septuagint. So in the Septuagint, the phrase in Isaiah 52 verse 5, which we read, and continually all the day my name is despised, has been translated to, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And that's a lot of how translation works. The sentiment is identical. So, and continually all the day my name is despised. Well, who is it that's despising them? That detail's been put in. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The idea then is since God's people have been sent into exile for their ungodly behaviour, instead of the nations praising the name of the Lord, the nations scoff at the name of God because he wasn't able to protect his people 
and keep them from being taken into exile. It's that same sentiment that we found in Ezekiel 36 that we read earlier. The nations couldn't appreciate that the judgment of the people was brought upon them by their God. Naturally, their first thought was, this isn't an act of their God. This is a failure of their God to protect them. And so God's name is profaned. Now what's interesting about all this is Paul isn't criticising the Old Covenant. Rather, Paul is criticising his people's lack of application of the Old Covenant. The criticism itself has already been made in the Old Testament. The people of God have broken the covenant, the one they have with God. This puts them in a dubious position. So in the thread of the argument that we've been seeing running through Romans, we see all the way from verse um, Romans 1 verse 18, God's wrath has been revealed and humanity in general is under God's wrath. And now the case is being made for God's people, the Jews also being under God's wrath. Because given the privileges they had, they had a responsibility which they failed to meet. And as a result, they're culpable. At which point, Paul describes the hypothetical position of an uncircumcised Gentile. And this uncircumcised Gentile is in a better position before God than a circumcised Jew. The logic's quite simple. An uncircumcised Gentile who keeps the law is more authentic than a circumcised Jew that doesn't keep the law. But actually, this isn't quite as hypothetical as we might think. Back in Joshua 2, we read of the account of Rahab. Rahab is a Gentile prostitute. And you, I'm sure, will know the story. Rahab hides the Israelite, uh, the spies from Israel that are staying with her when the king of Jericho comes looking for them. And then, having saved the spies, Rahab testifies to the Lord's mighty works. She says to them, Lord, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. It's one of the rare occasions when a Gentile does praise the name of the Lord because they've seen his mighty works. The whole of Jericho is destroyed, apart from Rahab, the Gentile prostitute, who's welcomed into the people of God. Meanwhile, in Joshua chapter 7, Achan, he is a man from the tribe of Judah, and he's taken some of the things that were devoted to the Lord. The scenario is this, when the people of Israel attacked their enemies, 
they were to take no plunder. All of it was to be devoted to the Lord. So what we have here is Achan, he's a man from the tribe of Judah, and he disobeyed God's law. So we have these two characters, Rahab, a Gentile prostitute, Achan, an Israelite from the tribe of Judah. Rahab, the Gentile who obeyed God, and Achan, Achan the Israelite who disobeyed God. During that day, Achan's genealogy comes to a complete end. Well, if you follow Rahab's genealogy, well, she marries a man called Salmon, and they father a man called Boaz. As I'm sure you'll remember, Boaz marries Ruth. Ruth has a son called Obed, who fathers a son called Jesse. Jesse, I'm sure, is a name you'll recognise, because he goes on to father David. What we have here is the uncircumcised Gentile who obeys God and who becomes part of the genealogy of Jesus. Once again, we see that what Paul is describing isn't at odds with the Old Testament. Paul isn't critical of God's covenant. How can God's covenant be faltered? It would imply... God isn't faithful. But we've got to be careful because now we're encroaching on next week's passage. Rather, Paul is critical of Israelites that would put their assurance in being God's people while they continue to flout his law. In the last two verses of Roman 2, Paul makes an allusion to a people. Let me read it. So from verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. These people are the ones who can authentically be known as the people of God. And while the Old Testament had called for God's people to have circumcised hearts, it is these people that Paul describes here that will have hearts that are contrite, and hearts that have the desire necessary to serve their God. These people won't be marked by a physical sign that can be seen with the eye. Instead, their sign will be a secret 
inner sign, a sign that's unseeable. This is a circumcision not done by the hand, but a circumcision that's achieved by God's Spirit. And this will bring with it a paradigm shift. Because the one who has been circumcised in the heart will have no desire to be praised by man. Instead, his desire will be to be praised by God. And this is the first time in the book of Romans that Paul has alluded to this new category of people of God. This is Paul's first mention of the Christian. The one who by God's spirit has the circumcised heart that God has spoken about all the way back in Leviticus 26. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the things that we can read about here and how we see that in all the things that have happened, you have a plan of how you will raise up a people for yourself. And so we pray, Lord, that we would understand how Paul's argument unfolds so that we can see your plan and purpose in all its glory and praise you accordingly. Amen. Well, as I mentioned before, there would come an opportunity for questions after the sermon and that point has arrived. Here's how it works. It's a simple matter of sticking a cue into the live chat. And once that cue's there, it just means that we know questions are coming. So if you have a question, stick a cue there. It just gives you a bit of time, a bit of breathing space to write down your question and not feel pressured that we're going to move on before you get your question down. Obviously, you're free to ask anything you like related to what we've been thinking about today. You might want to know more details about bits of the text. Uh, you might want to ask specifics about who is Paul talking about at which point. Um, I don't need to make suggestions of what questions you might ask. I'm sure you have plenty of your own. Once we finish question time, we'll have a, sh a brief reflection, just continue thinking about what we've been thinking about today, and then we're going to sing. Today, I thought we would sing All My Days. And then we'll close and I'll send out the Zoom chat. We have a comment. <laughs> I'm assuming that's what C means. That would be the obvious choice. While Ricky uh, types in his comment, do feel free, or whoever else it might be, Nathan or Adrian, do feel free to stick in a queue if you do come up with a question. Um, otherwise, we'll move on after the comment that is arriving from Avondale.
Okay, this is from Nathan. It says this. It's interesting that two images Paul uses for becoming a Christian, circumcision and rebirth, are things in which we're passive. All God's work. Ah, yes, I see, yeah. So, the circumcision of the heart, and I guess you talked about the rebirth of John 3, but the things that we don't do, they're happening to us. 